0: Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. Today comes from John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. The second reading is from 2 Timothy. Second sorry, sorry, Timothy. 3:16 All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. So the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is the word of the Lord. You, so friends, we are going to do something very special. I've been looking forward to this next sermon series for a long time. In these next four weeks, we are going to unpack our relationship with the Bible. Why? Well, so much of our understanding of God and of life, of ourselves, what the point of this whole thing is, comes from Scripture, from these words. Yet, how often do we talk about the Bible? We might hear messages from the Bible, but how often have we actually talked about what this book really is, how it came to be? Is it really something that we can have faith in, trust in today? This series is meant to help us in our understanding and our relationship with Scripture. Today, we're going to talk about just simply simply, the nature of Scripture, because it's so simple. Um, It's not simple, because for many of us, it's really complicated, It's complicated because the Bible is actually really difficult to understand. Sixty-six books written in cultures and language far and distant from us with different tones and different literary genres. It's a mixture of prose and of poetry, letters and stories, laws and parables, songs and wisdom literature, even the end-of-times apocalyptic stories all written a couple millennia ago, in Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic, from a a point of view that's so ancient and distant from our perspective today. It's complicated. It's complicated also because many of us, we actually, if we were honest, we don't read it. I'm not going to do a poll, we're not going to raise hands, but many of us just, we just don't read it. Each year, around 25 million copies of the Bible are sold. It's the it's the most sold most printed book in human history but i've heard it called recently the best selling book never read either because we don't know where to start or we don't know how how to get in there we don't know what it means or maybe we question if it will actually make a difference in our life we we keep it at a distance maybe our relationship with scripture for some of us in this room we wake up every morning. it is the way we start our day. Our day is grounded from God's word and we read it and reflect on it. maybe with your cup of coffee and your morning routine. For other people, maybe you will listen to a podcast from a message from the Bible on the way to work or something, or maybe you'll have a devotional email to you every morning with a line or two from the Bible just to begin the devotional. Or maybe we come to, the church, come to church and we hope to hear Scripture and that's our one time a week where we'll actually listen or read Scripture or maybe we don't read it at all. It's complicated. For some of us, it's complicated not because we don't read it, we actually have read it, but we actually don't like what we find. Consider some of the stories that we learned as children. For instance, the story of Joshua marching around the walls of Jericho. Remember that from your childhood? For an earlier generation, this story might speak of God's faithfulness, God's goodness, how we can trust in God. We hear the story how God called them to march seven times around these walls and the walls came tumbling down and God is good. But we read the rest of the story today and what happens after God... After, after the walls come tumbling down as well, then God calls the people of Israel to kill every living thing inside the walls. Not only the soldiers of Jericho, but the elderly, the women, children, newborns, all the animals slaughtered. Why? God commanded it. And for the readers today, this is not a story about God's goodness and loyalty. For many today, this is what? Story of Genocide. And this is God's Word. It's complicated. It's complicated even more because we have teachings from Jesus who seem to go against stories like this. Jesus teaches us to turn the other cheek. Bless are those who persecute you. Love your enemy. What do we do with that? And in our Bible are stories of polygamy, and rape, incest, war and violence. And what makes it even more complicated is not only that it's in the Bible, but it's actually in the lives of the heroes of our Bible. What about the horrors that have been done in the name of the Bible? Slavery and object- objectification of women as property, the justification of wars, parents who won't take their kids to the doctor because of a reading of James 5. It's complicated. Mark Twain once said that the Bible seems to be both the poison and the cure. How can this book that brings such pain also somehow bring such healing? For some in this day and age, they've acted like Thomas Jefferson who famously took a pair of scissors to his scripture, cutting out everything that went against his sensibilities. He just carved it out of the Bible, which for me, I'm always like, well, what about the back side of the page? What if you really like that? What I like about what Thomas Jefferson is, at least he was honest about it. Who all, like, if we were, we, we do this. Maybe we don't cut it out of our Bible, but we skim that story, don't like that commandment, don't know what to do with that, moving right along. We're tempted to do this. We leave our pages intact, but we skip over the parts we dislike and remember the ones that bring us comfort. The Bible is so complex, and quite often the Bible. Has been used and misused to do so many different things in this world. Uh, a woman who died this past year, very uh, way too young, Rachel Held Evans. She wrote in a in the book called "A Year in Biblical Womanhood," where she taught she actually sought to live one year in a literal uh, understanding of what it means to be a woman from Scripture. But she actually wrote this in the, in that book. She said, it's a long quote." Okay, if you're looking for verses. With which to support slavery, you will find them. If you're looking for verses with which to abolish slavery, you will find them. If you're looking for verses with which to oppress women, you will find them. If you're looking for verses with which to liberate or honor women, you will find them. If you're looking for a reason to wage war, you will find them. If you're looking for reasons to promote peace, you will find them. If you're looking for an outdated, irrelevant ancient text, you will find it. If you're looking for truth, Believe me, you will find it. This is why there are times when the most instructive question to bring to the text is not what does it say, but what am I looking for? That's honesty. I suspect Jesus knew this when He said, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened. Sometimes we come to Scripture just to validate what we want it to say. When in fact our reading of Scripture is out of whack. I believe for us to rediscover or discover for the first time a deeper relationship with the Bible, we must begin by being honest. Honest with one another, honest with God, and honest with the text. And in all relationships as we see in life, it begins in honesty, and that's what we need with the Word of God. Okay, so how are we doing so far? We feeling okay? We're all right? Alright, I want to be honest and share just a belief that I have. I believe, um, if you know me, you know I love the Bible. I really believe for us to follow Jesus in this day and age, we actually need need to re-enchant a relationship with God's Word. We need to re-enchant, we need to rediscover our relationship with this world. We can't just take the, the understanding that was given to us from generations ago. We, we need to, we, it's good, we need to build from it, but we also need, as God's people, learn how this book is instructive for this day and this age, and how we can speak about the Bible here and now. We need to move beyond a distant, an acquaintance with Scripture, like maybe your relationship with some uncle. You don't know what to do with but he shows up every once in a while and you kind of have to apologize to your friends about it. Don't worry about it, he means well. We need to to move beyond just an acquaintance with Scripture. We also need to move beyond a skeptical relationship where we keep it at at a distance. We build it up like a straw man and beat it. We need to move beyond that. We need to learn to wrestle with God's Word. We need to learn to wrestle with it in community, to sit with our questions and our doubts with God, and see if Scripture is still alive and active as it says it is today. And I think as we do that, we will discover this incredible precious gift that is still complicated. An essential question to help reenchant our relationship with Scripture is this. Is the Bible a human record? Is it people's word, or is it a divine account? Is it God's word? That's an essential question for us in, in discovering our relationship with Bible. Is it, is it human's word or is it God's word? So an answer for me is uh, depicted in drawings. I remember the drawings of M.C. Escher. You guys remember these drawings? I remember, I don't know why, but they were really popular when I was in, when I, I was in middle school. And uh, these uh, drawings that he famously did, they were focused on the visual complexities that would mess with our understanding and our orientation that uh, as we would look at these drawings, we weren't sure what was up and down, which, one, which way was real, how we could make sense of it. And one of the most famous pictures that he ever drew was a picture of these two hands drawing one another. And as you look at this picture, you might be led to wonder, so which hand is drawing the other? This is a picture for me of what Scripture is. I believe the historic Christian faith Orthodox Christian belief is that Scripture is both a human account and God's account. It is both people's records of their life with God and a document that was inspired by God's own presence. What we don't believe is that Scripture came to us perfectly from heaven like some golden tablets lowered from above. Instead, Scripture began in people's experience with God. That's where it began. Many of the many in the church don't want to hold this touch, tension of it being both a divine word and a human word. We are struggle with that complexity. It's kind of like this. We don't know what to do with it. Different parts of the church want to highlight one aspect over the other, maybe even disregard the other. So in most conservative evangelical churches, the Bible is held up as divine. You'll hear words like, it is God's holy word, perfect, without error, timeless and flawless. The Bible is our authority, and our call as followers is to submit to it. Don't question it, submit to it. Now in more progressive churches... You'll often hear hear people talk about the more human nature of Scripture. You'll hear people talk about the Bible as nuanced, as cultural, as limited, as suggestions. Back to the M.C. Escher, Escher picture. We are tempted, I believe, to erase one of the hands. It's just easier to understand what the Bible is if we just get rid of one of the hands. Either it's just people's best attempt of talking about their life with God or... It is this perfect, divine, golden tablet that God gave us. Which are you more tempted to erase? Which hand, if you were to be honest? I want to turn to Scripture now to demonstrate this. This is the first time I find this interesting. This is, I want to just demonstrate the, both the, the human element and the divine element that we find in Scripture. I, I, found, I find stuff like this interesting. Do you know the first time that people were told to write down Scripture. That people were told by God to write down Scripture. It's a really kind of peculiar story. Moses was the leader of God's people, and there, there was a battle taking place, and Moses was on a hillside watching the battle take place. And as he was watching it, he lifted up his hands, and I think just as an expression of prayer and presence. And when his arms were lifted, they were winning. But because his arms probably looked more like mine and less like Ted's, his arms got tired and his arms were, began to lower. Moses needed more CrossFit. But when his arms began to lower, they were, began to lose. So arms up winning, arms lowering, losing. So this is how it was. And so what happened was two friends had to come and hold up his arms, which for me is such a beautiful picture of community. They had to lift up their arms his arms so that God's people would be victorious. And after that experience, Moses went away and praised God, said, the Lord is my banner. He is my banner. This is who God is to me. And then God came to him in Exodus 17, 14, and said, the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll, something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek. From under heaven. Write this down. This is the first time that we find in Scripture where God said, Write this down. And what what did Moses have to write down? What's that? It's like a great wax museum today. The story. Write down the story. Their experience with God, what happened in this this thing. And make sure to tell Joshua, who would be the next leader, who would take on the mantle that Moses is going to pass. Joshua needs to hear that the Lord is your banner. God needs to hear that this is what happened. If they want if so, write it down. And people have this, they do this again and again. They have this encounter with God, and God does not want them to forget it. God wants this story that was individually experienced by either one person or God's community and for God to say, this is my nature. People need to know that this is who I was for you and who I will be for them in the future too. They need to know this. And so the story of God was written down and shared. And in the midst of writing the story, what we have faith is that God was divinely present. This is where we get hokey as Christians. We believe that God was actually present, not only in the encounter that inspired the story, but we actually believe that God was present in the writing of the story, in the keeping of the story, in the recording and the re-recording of the story. We believe that God was present and participated in the process. Because this story is so important. The beauty and the power of the Bible is, for me, is in this dual nature. It's both a human product and it is a divine gift. It's both human and divine. And as I believe this, I'm confronted with the reality that God is again and again and again present in the ordinary aspects of people's lives. What I believe about the Bible is what I believe about the rest of life, that life might be marked by this dual nature of the ordinary and the divine. That's what we experience at the table every Sunday. And if God could use humanity's works in something this important, maybe God could, would want to do the same for our lives as well. Again and again, we see glimpses in Scripture where both it is a, a word of God and a writing from people. This is how it works with God. When you read the, Paul's letters, I, this kind of, for me, this is a mind melt. Do you think Paul actually knew that he was writing Scripture when he was writing these letters? I don't think so. I think he took it really seriously because he he was writing to churches, so he like that's a lot. He knew that it would be read to a church. But I don't think Paul had any clue in Austin, Texas, 2019, that we be writing, reading these letters. I mean, it, <laughs> this is one of the reasons why I believe it in 2 Timothy, I four. I, I find this so funny that Paul, as he's writing this letter to Timothy, he asked for someone to get his cloak. He forgot it. Holy Scripture, right here. Hey, I left my iPhone charger behind. Would you mind grabbing that for me? It's in the Bible. It's both human and divine. We find this dual nature of divine and human. Ultimately, we find this in the most beautiful expression, most powerful expression in Christ. We heard it in our Scripture reading, John 1. In the beginning was the Word, speaking of Jesus, And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus was with God from the beginning, and Jesus was God. He was with God in the beginning. It's almost like he's trying to make the point. Like, there's no loopholes around this. (laughs) This is who Jesus was. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. This is the picture that Jesus is the Word of God, timeless, a Creator, fully God. But then in verse 14, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Was Jesus God? Yes, He was God. Was Jesus fully human? Yes, He came to us in flesh. He entered time and space. He became very particular. One man from Palestine, born 2,000 years ago, that Jesus was fully human. And I believe that this fully divine, fully human nature of what we understand in Jesus is pointing us to what we can see about the very nature of God and God's work in the Bible. That same tension. For the cynical and the skeptical in our society, they would see the complexities of Scripture, all the things that we began by saying, all right, all the problems that people have with Scripture. God, man, that seems really human. And if that's divine, really? That's what you think God thinks? The cynical and skeptical, I believe, they can have this encounter of seeing that it's both human and divine. And what they are asking, and I believe in our society, is why? Why even keep the Bible? Well, I get Jesus, but why the Bible? Why even read it? We believe the Bible, this is the most simple way I can put it, we believe the Bible because we are followers of Jesus. And Jesus rooted His life and His ministry from the Bible, from Scriptures, His Old Testament. And it's clear that Jesus read and studied and memorized Scriptures. He used it in His ministry of teaching. He used it in His personal life. For instance, when He was tempted in the desert, out of all the different things, He reached to Scripture. He needed the Scriptures to come to life. It was central to His life and His ministry. Therefore, if it was so central to Jesus' life, so it should be for ours. The problem for the church, I believe, is that too often we have read the Bible as through this lens of doctrine and dogma and this systematic theology that it's going to put everything nice and neat. So we learn that the Bible is something to memorize. It's a textbook. It's something we should learn and defend. But I don't believe the Bible was written necessarily with that purpose in mind. Instead, the Bible comes to us with all of its complexity and we're called to come to it with faith. With our hearts and souls opened with this crazy belief that God is still speaking in and through the Scriptures. And God is still at work in our reading of the Scriptures. This is why Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, "...all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work." All Scripture is God-breathed and useful. This notion of being God-breathed in Scripture is this notion that this is how God always brings life. For instance, in Genesis 2, God created humanity from the dust of the earth, but that humanity wasn't alive until God breathed life into humanity. The very first person, it took that breath of God that gave way to life. And my hope and my love of Scripture is not just the fact that we have this incredible recording through human history that has been preserved and it comes to us, but my belief is that God's breath is still there. As we open up these words that the breath of God is still there, giving way to life in my life, giving, giving life to my understanding, my, my relationship with God, my relationship with you, that in these words are life. Therefore, we must learn to read the Bible differently. We can learn to read the Bible not necessarily for information, but for formation. And that might seem like a nuance, but when we come to the Bible for information, it's just data points. And I think when we come to the Bible as formation, it's this act of hunger, of like, I want to be more formed as the way that God wants me to be. I want to turn to Scripture, God, and I want you to make me who you want me to be. I want to be the person who you created me to be. Fully formed. We need to reenchant that type of reading of Scripture. Less of account of data to memorize and to master, but more of a place of spiritual power where the breath of God is still present. And where God's presence is, there's power power to point us to life power for us when we experience despair that we can find that there's hope here in these words where there's confusion and chaos that we can find clarity in hebrews four twelve, we find these words for the word of god is alive and active it penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit joints and marrow it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart The power of Scripture is not in its systematic and errant account, but in the fact that it is alive. And it opens me up. It clarifies my thoughts and attitudes. When I read Scripture, the weird thing is I believe that the Scripture is reading me. It's drawing out within me the things that I don't want to see. It penetrates, even dividing soul and spirit joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart it draws out the things in me that I need to grow from, the things I need to, to hold on to. It reads me and it brings about healing. So I just want to give an example of, of this, the, the, the complex nature of Scripture and how we can read it. And I hope this doesn't make you uncomfortable how, how I read this and experience. But I, just, I just feel like I need to give an example of how, for me, I'm reading Scripture in my life. My example comes in the life of King David, For you, uh, you might know the story of King David, a man after God's own heart. He um, was a powerful leader, but he also made a legendary uh, mistake. While the kings were supposed to be off in war, King David, he stayed back home. He saw a woman who was bathing, and just taken over by lust, he called her to his palace and, and slept with her. Even though he knew her husband was off fighting the battle that he should have been. And uh, so the story goes that King David uh, wanted to keep this secret, but unfortunately Bathsheba became pregnant. And so he had to cover his sin. And so what he does is he calls Uriah to come back in and tries to get him to sleep with his wife so maybe that Uriah would think that this is your child, not mine. he doesn't do it. And then finally King David has this, this reality. He's like, I have to kill him or else he'll know. And so he makes this decree that Uriah should die on the battlefield and the men that he fought with made it so. They allowed him to be killed on the battlefield. David probably thought he got away with it. He took Bathsheba this widow into his home probably looking like a a caring, benevolent king. But God knew it and God wanted that thing to be exposed. That sin to be exposed not to shame him, but for his own soul's sake, for truth. And so, uh, made it known to a prophet who made it known to David. And, and in the midst of this all, David, he responds, and he writes this like incredibly beautiful psalm, Psalm 51. It's a psalm of confession. It's a psalm of repentance. For me, to be honest, it's one of the gifts of Scripture is I get to go to Scripture and I get to say the words that I need to say or I need to confess and repent. I, don't, I can also turn to Scripture and I can pray the prayers that Christ's people have prayed for generations. And I, as I was praying through Psalm fifty-one recently, I was reading through it, and there was a line that jumped out to me. And the line was this: "It's this beautiful psalm of repentance." And then it, David says this: "Against you and you alone, O God, have I sinned." And I read that and I go, "Nope, <laughs> I don't think so." I'm, I'm sorry, David, I think you sinned against Bathsheba. I think you sinned against Uriah, against the people of God, all the soldiers. I think there are more people than just God, which you have sinned against. And you could see if someone was reading this and saw this as purely divine, you'd go, okay, there it is, proof text. So now whenever I mess up my life, sorry, Jen, I know I sinned against you, but I really didn't, It's just between me and God right? The, the things that I do to you, sorry, I don't need to apologize, just right here. Or you could read it through more of a human text and go, yep, there it is. One more example of how narrow-minded people are and how this is just a flawed scripture. Or there might be a different way of reading it. As I'm reading through this and I see it, David writing this beautiful psalm of confession and then he says, against you alone have I sinned. I can look at that and go, oh, I do that all the time. I want to make the the regrets that I have just between me and God when in effect I need to actually seek reconciliation. I'm oblivious to the pain I'm causing other people. I'm just like David in that too. Now, does that mean that I don't believe that this is God's word? That it's not perfect? I do believe it's perfect. It's actually perfect in the fact that it points something within me that I need to grow from. It's incredibly perfect exactly because it's so human and so divine. When I think about David, like, oh, David, you need to go and confess to Bathsheba. You need to go and confess uh, to, to the, the commander of the soldiers, you need, there's more work to be done. And there's more work to be done in my own life. This is a different way of reading Scripture that I'm coming to. But for me, I'm experiencing that God's Word is perfect. It's actually doing something in me. It's alive and active. It penetrates even dividing soul and spirit. The Bible is not a matter of information. It's a matter of Formation. That you could be fully equipped to do everything that God wants you to do and be everything that God wants you to be. That means we can study it, we can analyze it, we can dissect it from a distance, but it's meant to be consumed. It's meant to be applied in our life. It's meant for us to humbly go to it and ask for God to be a lamp. Let the Scripture be a lamp to my path. Show me where you want me to go, God, and who you want me to be. We will not see Scripture for the way it was meant to be in our life until we have chosen to live it out with all humility and faith and courage. A guardrail that our church holds as a community is this, that there's no better place to plant one's life than in God's Word. That's something that we believe as a community. There's no better place to plant your life than in God's Word because God's Word is trustworthy and true. Though it is complicated, it still is a lamp to my feet. A light to my path, and some of us we we need to grow in experiencing that in our life. We need to grapple with it. We need to grapple with scripture. We need to put it in the middle of our community and ask the hard questions, and eventually to entrust ourselves to this complex, beautiful gift that is scripture. That's what we're going to do in these next three weeks. Next week we're going to talk about the overarching narrative, the story of scripture, how all sixty-six books and the different genres and the different cultures are actually telling one story. And once you see that one story, a lot of the complexities of Scripture begin to make sense. So next week, we're going to be talking about that. The week after that, uh, we'll be talking about the nature of interpretation, how we all interpret Scripture, and how that makes this very complex as well. And then lastly, we're going to talk about how we can apply the Scriptures to our life. And as your pastor, I just want to invite you into this. For this month of August to step into this. And my request for you, for you is this. To begin by just saying, what is my relationship with, God, with God's Word? Like, what, what has it become in your life? For you to be honest with that. And then, for you maybe to lower the cynical stiff arm or the ambivalence that maybe you've learned to have towards God's Word. And to actually, this month, to come to it seeking faith, seeking life with all your courage. My hope and prayer is at the end of this series that, that we'll have not only a deeper understanding of what the Bible is, but we will actually see it for the gift that God wants it to be. I think there's nothing that God wants more, wants more for you than that.